Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. And it's good to be back with you, our listeners, and with you, Rick. How's things going? Good. All right. Well, um, there's been a couple of announcements, um, starting with, um, let's see, what else is new? Oh, yes. Got a new blog post coming out this week. So you'll want to check that out on uh, imagedoctorsphoto.com. Again, that's for our uh, subscribers, our patrons. Um, so you'll want to check one, that uh, out. Good basic practices for subject detection and a variety of cameras. It's kind of camera independent, brand yeah. independent. Well, we've noticed that all the algorithms kind of work the same way when it comes to subject detection. There's some nuance between some of them, but for the most part. So your article, your article goes into, you know, how to learn the system and what, what ways you can practice it. Cause I think knowledge is power, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, subject detection is a wonderful feature. We both enjoy it. We are both very glad it exists. Um, but if you don't know its limitations and how it's going to work with your particular camera, you can find it causing more trouble than it's worth sometimes. So yeah. it's good to know how to, how to practice with that. So check that out. Imagedoctorsphoto.com is our website. You can sign up there to be a supporter and get access to premium content like that article. So we, we appreciate it. And um, we, speaking of our supporters, one of our patrons sent us a question and uh, we want to address that today. And that's uh, one of our newer, newer uh, subscribers, Steve Wetzel, longtime friend of the show. Uh, name we both recognize quite well, um, but thank you for your patronage, Steve. Thanks for signing up as a as a subscriber. Um, and his question had to do with polarizing lenses, right, Rick? Yeah, and specifically when and when not to use a polarizer. And then he gets a little bit more specific and asks about getting one for his Olympus 100 to 400 but he said he's not sure if bluer skies and reduced glare would be worth losing the light. So it's a good question. Mm -hmm. um, maybe let's split it into two parts. Generically, when to use one and mm -hmm. when not to. Yeah, and I'll, I'll start off even more so and just say the, the polarizing filter, the polarizer is one of the few filters that still has a place in my bag. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of other filters that we used to use that just aren't valuable anymore with digital the polarizer for those of you who aren't familiar with them you know they they have a traditional dual purpose filter one is they uh reduce glare from leaves from foliage from water reflected surfaces mm -hmm. and no other filter will do that um no. it's 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 the only way to really to really make that that happen so it can be it can be kind of useful for those kinds of situations where you got a lot of you know waterfalls or, or or lots of leaves in overcast light where they just look kind of gray and washed out it can really add some pop. And the other traditional use was to add contrast to things like clouds and sky, blue skies. And what I'd say is that the former is the way I use the polarizer now, and the latter is something I just don't mess with anymore. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, that's the same with me. And and for me, the reasons fall into a couple categories or why I don't use it with skies. 
um, one where we live, it's really easy to polarize, overpolarize. Yes. In fact, if you just use a polarizer, you're you're often overpolarizing. You don't have to do anything to get the deep blue skies here, but it's really easy to get black purplish ones with a polarizer. So that's part of it. The other thing is they're just a little bit harder to control, um, in the the amount and and have it look right on the actual image oftentimes it looks different through the viewfinder than it really does in reality mm -hmm. and there are a lot of good features out now for um, controlling the brightness of the sky and post-processing you can use the lightroom masks that we've talked about mm -hmm. many times those are wonderful you can just select the sky dial it down a little bit and get that effect that mm -hmm. you want to have from a polarizer, but have much better control over it. So the combination of things where we live and then the, the latter thing of better control, I just don't use it for skies, you know, using it at, at sea level in places with higher humidity and not as direct of light, not as thin of atmosphere. It, it can be a heck of a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. The other thing you have to worry about um, when you use a polarizer on a sky is that the effect, uh, well, the, the degree of the contrast that you see, the darkening of that sky, uh, varies with your angle to the sun. Mm -hmm. So it is it is most strong, it's strongest at 90 degrees. So the, if you have the sun sort of off to your right or left at a 90 degree angle, you'll get maximum polarization. Um, if you're not, it, it decreases as you go along. Now, what that means is, and it's going to be relevant to the second part of this question, but there's a general rule that you really don't want to use a polarizing filter on a sky with a super wide angle lens. Because when you get an angle of view that's, you know, 120 degrees or whatever it might be with a wide lens, you're going to see a dark sky maybe in the center of your frame, and it's going to not be dark on the edges of your frame or vice versa. And all of a sudden, you've got a very uneven sky. So another reason just not to use the polarizer, even in a landscape setting. Um, so with the wide lenses, yeah, if you're down and you're not getting a sky and you're just removing glare, great. Um, now, the second part of the question, though, is what about for wildlife on telephoto lenses? Yeah. You know, and this is where you have an interesting question because... On the one hand, you could say, well, it removes glare maybe from fur or from water, and that might be a good thing. Yeah. Um, I could understand that. Um, most polarizers, however, you're going to pay at least a two-thirds of a stop penalty because it's an ND filter. It's a neutral density filter. And, uh, and for most of them, it's about double that at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be one and two-thirds, almost two stops of light loss. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about wildlife shooting where fast shutter speeds are really critical those two stops turn into the difference between iso 1600 and iso 6400 and and all the now we shoot at those isos but why do that if you don't have to yeah what i've found is while i know the theoretical benefits under certain circumstances with wildlife in practice I just never end up using them because right. of the other issues. Right. And I'm not saying there's zero benefit, but being pragmatic about it, I just don't end up doing it. 
and the last piece comes to how do you use a polarizer? You've got to rotate the front element of the polarizing filter itself, which can be challenging with the lens hood on, on a big lens. Mm -hmm. And then if you're tracking wildlife, unless you're in a very controlled situation with the particular angles to the sun, you're going to have the same problem. You're going to say, okay, well here I'm polarized, you know, one way, but now as I'm panning with the bird or whatever it might be, you get different levels of polarization and it can screw things up. So this one falls under the category for me of it sounds okay, just like you said, on paper for certain scenarios, but in practice, it really creates more problems for your photography than it's worth yeah. and you'll be disappointed. So I just generally skip the polarizer altogether with, with anything except certain subjects anymore. Yeah. But anyway, we appreciate... Steve sending us the question and we of course appreciate Steve being a supporter of the show and signing up as a patron so that's really awesome we appreciate it um, next week uh, we won't have a show because I'll be out of out of, uh, out of town um, I'm leading an Alaska cruise workshop we're going up to Denali and then taking a cruise to Glacier Bay and Skagway and Juneau and whale watching and all beautiful spots. It's, it's wonderful. So right now I'm in the process of packing for that. Um, I'll just say, I'll have pictures when I get back, but I'll just say, I think I'm going to go with a two lens kit. <laughs> um, and I'm mostly settled on the OM one with the 12 to 100 and then the 100 to 400. So that gives me a two lens kit from 24 to 800 equivalent range. So I think that's that'll probably work. sufficient. Well, I went back and I looked at my older photos from when I went to Alaska about five or six years ago. And I really didn't take anything wider than 24 millimeters. I had a wider lens, but I just rarely needed it because everything there is so big. So, um, you know, the, I could hypothetically put something like that little nine millimeter prime in for just something wider. It's small enough. I could do it. Um, but it's not really something I would need. So I think two lenses is going to be the way I roll. Pretty um, cool. And that that's going to be a real fun time. So more on that when I return from the trip, but that's, that's what I've been up to, uh, lately. I'm looking forward to it because it's got that nice mix of wildlife and landscapes and, travel and you know buildings and cultural things it's, it's a really great place to experience um yeah that's that's what i'm thinking it's really great all right but it's also a great place to go on a cruise because you can't really access some of those places no otherwise. And, so and it's, they're it's pretty good, places yeah they really are all right let's talk about what we really came here to talk about today right yeah and it's the topic of should you consider buying a macro lens and we've talked about macro lenses a lot in the past. And, and we like them. someone, and we do like them. And someone might conclude that we would view those as, well, not mandatory, close to it. And I'm not sure that's the case. So we'll, we'll kind of go through that debate a little bit. I think so. Course, I mean, this is a debate being held by guys who both own macro lenses. <laughs> right. Well, you know, as but someone answers who, me surprise you as someone who's gravitated towards uh, nature subjects macro is fun it mm -hmm. means you can take pictures of little insects and leaves and details and get stuff that you just wouldn't with a regular lens most lenses just don't focus very close and um, it can be like a little tiny world yeah it's you it's, just it's don't a, normally get to see 
in that way. And it's, it's kind of cool. It, in my opinion, it's a great way of getting creatives, fo- you know, going with close-ups and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first got a macro lens, it was back in the, the film days. Um, my only other lens at the time was a 28 to 300 Tamron, which I think had a minimum focus distance of about five feet. <laughs> so, so the magnification on it w- just wasn't great, and it also wasn't the sharpest lens. So, getting a macro right. lens was a pro- it was my, a, you know, a real prime lens. Um, the third party ones were affordable and very, very sharp compared to what I was shooting at the time. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, another valid, and this was a one hundred five macro. And so, most of the time, you're talking. You know, the macros come in sort of three sizes, three focal lengths, the 50, 60 equivalents, 50, 50 or 60 millimeters, somewhere in there, 55, whatever, 90 to 105 in that zone, and then 180 or 200. Those are your mm-hmm. kind of three classes, right? Mm-hmm. So I had the 105. It was a nice combination of, you know, something I could afford, very sharp. You can use it a portrait lens. Pretty good use for that, right? Mm-hmm. What about now, though? I mean, it's, you know, it's things are a little different. They are. And, and you know, when I first got a macro lens, which would have been before you did, because I'm older, it was a, you know, Nikon manual focus 55 millimeter 3.5 lens, which was a great macro lens. It'd been around for a long time. I was working in a camera shop and I got it used for almost nothing, almost nothing. And I, I was just in hog heaven using it. it it was you know a wonderful general purpose lens but at that point in time there were macro lenses were used for more than you know nature photography and one of the things that they were used for is copying documents mm-hmm. and photos and negatives and things like that where you wanted to have a, a pretty flat field no no field curvature going on that would make the mm-hmm. edges unsharp and I remember, you know, going through old family photos using a copy stand and, and that lens. Where and, all you have is a print, right? So you were trying to yeah, get a, get these a, were, a master. These were prints from, you know, 1900 or so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I wasn't using a digital camera. I was using a film camera to copy mm-hmm. them. Um, but, but that was an important thing with macros, especially the shorter ones at the time, the 55, 60 ish ones was mm-hmm. copying documents and photos and that's kind of disappeared even you know flatbed copiers are kind of disappearing and now people are copying those kind of documents just using their cell phone yep. which frankly works great most of the time <laughs> it does so that use of macro lenses has really diminished a lot it's not zero but it's really diminished quite a bit and i would say the other thing too is that for anything other than copy stand work a 55 60 millimeter macro isn't really useful you have to get so close to the subject to to get anywhere near the you know one to one one to two kinds of magnification levels that you might want that unless it's an inanimate object you know, it's it's not going to work. And then you're going to have lighting problems because you're going to be so close. You're going to be throwing shade on your subject just by virtue of being so close to it. There's another issue too, which is controlling the background. And and what I find is with those 55 to 60-ish 
millimeter uh, lenses or their equivalents, you just can't control the background well. And you end up with a background that just looks a little bit too busy. Whereas you get with at least a, you know, 90 millimeter equivalent, you can control it much better. Mm -hmm. And you can make an argument for even doing better with a 180 to 200 millimeter ish macro. It's just getting to be kind of a big lens, but that background control is very important. Mm -hmm. You can play yeah. with different colors, uniformity, all sorts of things. And you're talking about those nice, soft, blurred backgrounds that mm -hmm. you generally get when you focus very close on something. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, um, we're not talking about necessarily macro photography of circuit boards, but you can do that. Um, we, we tend to gravitate towards natural subjects. So one, one question you could say is, you know, when you say, do you need a macro lens? One thing would be to just go ahead and look at the magnification ratio that you have. Um, the magnification with your other lenses. Uh, for example, there are some lenses that will get a magnification ratio and they, they, they will either um, express this as a decimal or as a fraction you know, or as a ratio. So they'll say one to two, or they could say 0.5 X, right? That, that means half life size on the sensor or the film, which is also one to two. Right. Yep. And so one to one means life size. You can go greater than that. Two to one in some cases. There's some lenses that will will get you that far, um, or even more. There's some. I know Canon makes some lenses that go, you know, four X or some crazy thing like that that they they do. Um, but it gets hard to to use those in those uh, situations. If all you want to do is take some nice close up photos of things like flowers or just relatively close, then you could be pretty happy with a magnification ratio of one to three. 0.33x gosh yes you know even um, one to four yeah the the workshops I'm talking, you know full frame um lenses and compositions yeah um it's not bad when i went to old car city i've done there a couple of times that really great junkyard down in um in uh near atlanta um i have shot there with a 105 but I actually found that shooting with the 24 to 120 was more versatile. Mm -hmm. It allowed me to zoom my composition. You know, I was on a tripod. I was doing focus stacking. And for things like hood ornaments, I didn't need to be one-to-one. -one. Wasn't, it wasn't necessary. And there's other little tricks you can do if you really want to add some, some um, you know, if you want to take a lens and, and focus a little closer, you can add an extension tube. It, it's very inexpensive and you, and you can focus closer, right? Um, you, you give up some stuff. So, you know, the, the lenses that are out now, the newer lenses, especially, but you know, many of the designs, they're just awfully good. So, you know, the need for that super sharp macro lens that we had in the past when we we're shooting film just isn't as great anymore. And keep in mind that, that, that the sharpness aspect of it, also often pertain to document copying etc mm -hmm. mm -hmm. especially up close where normal lenses will lose a little bit of sharpness but if you're taking pictures of flowers especially <laughs> a little bit more abstract ones not all that much is really in focus and it could be some thin little line and and quite honestly the sharpness of the lens just doesn't play into it too much a general purpose lens can be just fine 
for subjects like that. Right. Um, now, I will say that the lenses that are offered for the mirrorless cameras, especially, are all very good. Uh, the, the the macro options and interestingly enough these manufacturers still keep a 50 or a 60 millimeter equivalent in their lineup um probably for people doing that document copying but um again uh i mean i've used the nikon 105z mm-hmm. and, and you have too and it's frankly one of the sharpest lenses i've ever touched <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just outstanding um there's a couple of flavors for micro four thirds. Panasonic has them. Olympus has them in, in some different focal length ranges. 45 being a 90 equivalent, 60 is a 120 equivalent, and then uh, OM Systems, whatever we want to call them now, <laughs> Digital Solutions. Um, they recently released a was a it's a 90 millimeter macro, mm-hmm. and that'll get you to two to one effectively, um, and that's a 180 equivalent. And I know it's good. My dad has used it, and it's wonderfully sharp. It's a very good lens. He he bought one. Um, but also, I, all the manufacturers either have their own or there's excellent third-party options. I mean, Tamron, Sigma, they all make good macro lenses, right? When you're thinking about how close something focuses and you're looking at magnification ratios, you also have to think about the format that you're shooting. Mm-hmm. Is it full frame? Is it APS-C? Is it micro four thirds medium format? Um, and just to, as a little example, if you have a full frame camera with a macro lens on it that will get to one to one, and you have a micro four thirds camera with a macro that gets to one to one, the images will look very different when focused at one to one. Right. Because you'll the, really be composing it two to one with that with that micro four thirds camera that that will be the visual appearance of it and it's just because of the smaller sensor size so just think about that too because if you are using a smaller format camera it makes it even less likely that you might need that macro lens Mm -hmm. no and there's some lenses that will get to uh one to two just natively and that's or you know one to two effective and that's pretty close for a lot of things yeah and then play the other game that helps larger format um, cameras. If you have something with high resolution, 45, 50, Mm -hmm. 60 megapixels or whatever, you can crop a bit. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and get that closer um, composition. So for several reasons, I, I think it's worth thinking about, do you really need a macro lens or not? Because some of the past reasons for getting them are diminished these days. Mm -hmm. And it's always nice to potentially have one fewer thing in your bag that you need to lug around or worry about. Um, You know, I will, I will say, um, you know, one thing when you start focusing very close, this is just the rule of optics. Your depth of field starts getting (laughs) smaller and smaller, you know, thinner and thinner. Mm -hmm. And so the, the workaround, of course, is to generally stop down or or do something like stacking or whatever, you know, focus stacking or something like that. Um, one nice thing about the smaller format cameras is that they have effectively greater um, effective depth of field. It looks like the depth of field is greater. Um, so like a 2.8 lens behaves more like um, 
twice that. So like what, five, six, right. Um, in terms of depth of field, apparent imaging, you know, how it shows up. So for people who are like hardcore into macro, you can make a pretty strong case for some of these smaller format systems because you're going to get that extra depth of field without having to stop down nearly as far and give up the light penalty. So it's kind of yeah. cool. It's just one of those things. So like F8 or F11 on a micro four thirds camera is like F22 on a, on a um, 35 millimeter camera. So, you know, whatever, it's just something to think about, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of great macro choices out there and it used to be something that I would just say, if you're into nature photography, it should be on your list of, of lenses to have in your bag. And it's harder to make that argument now, I think. Mm-hmm. As a, as a necessary component. They're still wonderful to use. And I love them. Yeah. Um, think about using a more general purpose zoom, for example, perhaps with an extension tube, if you even need the extension tube. Right. And then there's some of these big telephoto zooms will actually focus awfully darn close. Um, I was actually using a, uh, I was out shooting and um, had the 300 millimeter F4 Olympus with the 1.4 teleconverter, mm-hmm. <laughs> effectively 840 millimeters. And while it doesn't focus anywhere near one to one, but my goodness, I was getting, I could get a shot of a grasshopper right close up, just handheld. I bet, I bet you could control the background pretty easily. Yeah, oh yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a big deal. <laughs> Near, so, so it works. I mean, there's, there, there's things you can, I wouldn't recommend that kit for flowers or something like that but uh you know it it, it can be done so i think the thing to look at though is that look at that magnification or or reproduction ratio um in the specs when you're looking at your lenses you might be surprised how close you can focus with some of these newer lenses yeah okay well that's all the time we have for this week's show remember we will have an off week next week as i will be traveling in alaska but we'll have um more when i'm back from that And until next time, happy shooting. All right. Bye-bye.